You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans 5 verse 12 and following. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do look to you this morning as we look at this, uh, this complex passage, Father, that uh, gives us many opportunities to scratch our chins and scratch our heads. Father, we ask that you would teach us and lead us and guide us into the truth of this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me one second. Thank you. Well, we've been working our way through this text. It's complicated, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it's complex. But I think once we uh, come and arrive at the meaning of it, the the, the actual meaning of it is not as complex as the sentence structures are. And uh, when we come down to verses 20 and 21, you know, it's, it's my joy to tell you, that we in verses 20 and 21, we really get to the very heart of it. We really get to the very heart of the gospel for sake of um, uh, context and for sake of uh, uh, aiding our memories. Uh, let's begin at verse 12 again, and let's just kind of work our way kind of quickly down to verse 20 so that we're set up for that verse uh, when it comes. Uh, we've been looking through these verses really two and three verses at a time. And you'll recall, and I think it's really helpful in making sense of this passage to see the structure. And as I've said many times, in verse 12, we have a sentence here and the sentence is incomplete. You know, if we were writing this sentence in our reports in our English classes in high school, our English teacher would have something to say about verse 12. He or she would be saying that 
Well, this is an incomplete sentence. This needs to be made complete. This needs revision. Uh, the Apostle Paul is not writing for necessarily for a grade in English. He's writing to communicate things that are very complex. And I think we can really see the, 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 the way that when God inspires the biblical author, uh, they're not dictation machines. Uh, he still leaves uh, room for the, the, the personality of the human author. And uh, here we kind of see Paul. He's, you know, he, he, he's, he's communicating the gospel and he's speaking of an event that we're very familiar with. Just as sin came into the world through one man, what is he pointing to? It's important that we see that Paul's pointing to an historical event, like I said last week, an historical event that took place in history, a real event that changed everything for us. And that event, of course, is Adam's rebellion in the garden. When Adam rebelled in the garden, Adam fell. And when Adam fell, we all fell with him. And this is a, a very uh, important truth. It's a tough truth uh, because, uh, and I'll say this for the benefit of my grandchildren that are present here this morning, who didn't hear all these messages. Uh, they might be sitting here thinking, I wasn't even born when uh, Adam sinned in the garden. Nope. Um, I'm, I'm old, Kara, but I'm not old enough to have been born either uh, when that happened. Uh, neither is anyone else in the room, and I won't point any attention to anybody in the room who might be older than me. That would be unkind. Uh, but uh, none of us were old enough. None of us are so old that we were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, there will be a hanging after church this morning for sure. <laughs> none of us are so old that we were there. We weren't there, but when Adam fell, his failure his guilt uh, became ours. And that's the mess that we, each one of us were born into, an historical event. And, and Paul wants to make this so clear that it's like he stops in the sentence. He wants to make it so clear that it was indeed Adam's sin that caused our fall. And it, actually that we're all guilty in Adam's sin. He wants to make it so clear that he stops that sentence. Uh, he, he stops the sentence dead in its tracks and when he gets to verses 13 and 14, he qualifies what he just said. And he, I won't go into all of the details of those verses. I said I would do this quickly, and that wouldn't be being very good on my word here. But what he says with verses 13 and 14 is that Adam's guilt is our guilt. We were born guilty in Adam's guilt. And um, then at the end of verse 14, Paul says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. And mind you, he still hasn't finished verse 12 yet. That sentence is still hanging out there unfinished. And he makes this statement that Adam is a type of the one who was to come. And I, I, maybe when we get to heaven, we can ask the Apostle Paul about this and say, you know, Paul, you know, when you said Adam was a type of the one to come, it almost seems like as soon as you said it, you thought, oh, my goodness, this sound, this this needs to be qualified. Uh, this needs to be qualified. And you can almost see him kind of rambling a little bit here. Um, Adam is a type of Christ. Wait a second. Adam is the one who fell in the garden and created this whole mess. And you're going to say he's a type. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, there's something we need to see here. And that's, that's what verses 16 and 17, 15, 16 and 17 are all about. The words, it is not like. 
uh, are key here to understanding the structure here. As soon as he says Adam is a type of Christ, he's like, whoa, wait a second now. He's not like him in every way. We need to understand that. Uh, the free gift, and I, I, I developed that a couple of weeks ago. I repeated it last week. I'll repeat it again. What is the free gift? Let's think about what's being compared. Two historical events are being compared. Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam fails in the Garden of Eden. We can think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus triumphs in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here we see the performance of the first Adam being compared to the performance of the second Adam. What is the free gift? I take the free gift to be... uh, uh, Christ's perfect work, Christ, uh, his life, his ministry, uh, his work on the cross, his death on the cross, uh, his resurrection, that free gift, that free gift of grace, which we're going to talk about here uh, this morning. And Paul is saying the free gift is not like Christ. In other words, Christ's work is not like Adam's. Adam's work brought condemnation to us all. Christ's work, verse 15, has brought grace Uh, to us all. Verse 16, he says it again, the free gift, the work of Christ is not like, you see that phrase? It's not like the result. What was the result of Adam's failure? The result of Adam's failure, verse 16, was judgment following the trespass, bringing condemnation. But then you see the free gift again. The free gift following many trespasses brings what? It's a different result, isn't it? It's a different result. It brings justification. Verse 17, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man. So you see, Paul's comparing the work of, he's comparing the work of Adam with the work of Christ. And he's saying, listen, Adam is a type of Christ in the respect that Adam's representing all humanity here. And as our, as our representative, when Adam falls, we all fall. Our rep goes down and we go down with him. Uh, we're, we're guilty with our rep. Uh, but the good news of the gospel is God has sent us another representative. God himself comes in the person of Jesus Christ to represent uh, his people. And uh, he is victorious. And Paul wants to see, yes, there's, there's typology here, uh, but... Uh, The free gift, uh, the work of Christ, the work of the second Adam didn't produce the same result uh, as the first. Does that sound fairly clear? Now, when we get to verse 18 and 19, as we looked at last week, if we want to still think of the structure again, Paul starts his sentence in verse 12. He qualifies what he says in verses 13 and 14. He mentions that Adam's a type of the one who was to come. Then he quickly says, listen, he's not like uh, Christ is not like uh, Adam in every way. But then when he gets to verse 18, he says, but there's some other ways here where there is some similarities. In verse 18, he says, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Okay, one act in the garden, one act of disobedience in the garden had ramifications for us all, didn't it? That's what he's saying here. So one act of righteousness. Okay, one act of righteousness, the work of Christ leads to justification in life. And here we have certainty. You remember that word certainty? I said, if we could summarize all this with one word, we would do it with certainty. Just as certain, just as certain 
as Adam's rebellion in the garden has brought death into the world. Why do people die? Why were we praying for Larry's family this morning and Larry's friends? Because there's this certainty. Adam's rebellion brought this realm into the world. It took the world and brought it into the realm of sin and and death, right? That is certain. And you remember, I, I, to, 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 to illustrate this, I asked how many are left from Adam's generation? There are none. Uh, how many are even left uh, now? I, I don't know that there's may, hardly anyone left from my great-grandmother's generation uh, at this point. Um, last week, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, I brought up the oldest woman in the world had passed away at the age of 117, 117. And she was the last one to be known, the last one known to be born in the, in the 1800s, 1899. That was the year my great-grandmother was born, 1899. There's none left. It's just a certain fact. Uh, and as time marches on, that, 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 you know, that date marches on as well. This is a certain thing that is taking place. And what Paul wants us to see in verses 18 and 19, this is just a certain, you see, the certainty that resulted from the first historical act, you know, just as certain as death has, uh, has come out of the first act, life comes out of the second. And this is, this is just great news for us. If you're in Christ Jesus, how certain can you be that Jesus is going to take you into heaven and give you eternal life. Well, you, you can be, you can be as certain as death is in the world. That's how certain you can be. That's that's a wonderful truth. You see, it's hard to get this. It's hard to, to get the, once you get the. I think once you get the message of of chapter five, twelve through twenty one. I think it's easy enough for us to understand the message. It's just arriving at the message uh, is quite difficult. Now. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one's obedience, the many were made righteous. Now, again, it's important that we take verse 19 in a forensic sense. I brought that up to you last week. What do I mean by that? I know this is somewhat complicated a little bit, but uh, think of it as a courtroom deal, a declaration. Uh, when When a trial goes on, Let's suppose that let's suppose that you're in the dock and you're on trial, and there's a jury, and the prosecuting attorney makes their case, and your defense attorney makes your case, and then the jury they they decide the case, and they're, um, uh, they present their case uh, to the judge, uh, then the judge declares you uh, guilty or not guilty. Is the judge making you guilty? And if you're guilty, it's because you did it. Uh, The judge had nothing to do with that. If you're innocent, is the judge making you innocent? No, what he's doing is he's declaring you. He's making a declaration. It's important that we understand that. He's making a declaration. He's declaring you. And that's the forensic sense that I'm talking about here. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Were we in the garden when Adam rebelled? No, but we have been declared guilty in Adam's sin. Does that make sense? 
So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, were you around when Jesus was hanging on the cross? No, but by virtue of your faith in Christ, God has declared you not guilty. How can he do that? Is he just forgetting about the sins that we've committed? No. You see, he's punishing Jesus in our place, right? And that sets us up for verse 20. In, in verse 20, you know, I think really for, especially for us in the West and those of us, you know, if we went up to Murray uh, Avenue up in Squirrel Hill and we talked to some of our Jewish friends up there, they, they would understand why verse 20 is where it's at better than we're going to understand it. And, you know, if you've spent any time with this text at all, as you've been working down through here, you might say, you might say, what is verse 20 got to do with all of this? The Apostle Paul says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. And Paul's bringing in the law. We might scratch our heads and say, well, why is Paul bringing in the law right here? This seems, well, how's it fit? Now, this is how it fits. You see, this is how it fits. Paul is writing to a group of believers in Rome who are a mixed group of believers. There are Jewish believers there. There are non-Jewish believers there. Now, the non-Jewish believers there probably aren't probably going to be wondering the same thing we're wondering, perhaps. But the Jewish believers are going to be saying, whoa, Paul, um, the Adam thing you're talking about here, we got that. Uh, we've, we've kind of understood a little differently than you, but okay, I'm tracking with you. The, the, the Jesus thing you're preaching here, okay, um, we, we got that, but what about Moses? I mean, Paul, have you like, have you like taken scissors and cut like Exodus 20 and following out of your Bible? Or are you just... Are you just moving from Exodus maybe 19 and moving your way all the way to, you know, to Matthew? Is, is, what, what about Moses? I mean, what about the rest of Exodus? What about Leviticus? What about Numbers? What about Deuteronomy? Uh, and what about all of the prophets who have come and called the people of God back to covenant faithfulness? What about all these messages? What about Moses and Paul realizing that that's going to be on their minds. Why is that going to be on their minds? Because this was the distinction of the Jewish people, was it not? How many different nations were there in the world and different tribes and languages and tongues in the world when God came to Israel and revealed his, his will and word and law to them? I don't know, but there were a lot. But God chose one nation. And this was what made them distinct, was they were people of the book. They were people who had the law. And in this, so far in this framework that Paul is giving us, he's giving us Adam, he's giving us Christ, but Paul, shouldn't you have given us like Adam and then Moses and then Christ? Can you see the tension here? And what, what, what's up with this? What about Moses? And what Paul writes, oh, make no mistake about it, this would be offensive. We read right past this and we don't get it. 
But had we been raised in an Orthodox Jewish home in the first century, uh, following the law, uh, being people of the law, uh, sitting under many of the rabbis at the time, what Paul says in verse 20 would have been a shocker. Paul says, now the law, oh, what a, I know what's on your minds here. You've got Moses on your mind. So about Moses, about the law, about the law, the law has come to increase the trespass. You'd be going, what? I mean, you go and preach this, and there's going to be some silence fall in the room, and I'm going to tell you it's going to be more than silence. You're going to be seeing lips quivering. This is going to be offensive. Because many, many folks believe that the law came to bring righteousness. I mean, why else would God give us the law? He's going to give us the law to increase the trespass. Now, before we go any further, let me just on the side say one thing. This is not the final word on the law. We can run into a really big error if we think that, okay, Paul's giving us a full comprehensive treatment of the law here. He's not. He's only showing us one angle here. Let's be sure that otherwise we can say, hey, you know, out with the law. We don't need the law no more. And the, now we can just be lawless and we can do whatever we want. Jesus loves us and this I know because there's no law no more to, to convict me of anything. No, we don't. We don't want to go down that road. Many go down that road because they misunderstand that this is not a comprehensive treatment of the law right here. Remember, one of the rules that I've been introducing to you is when we come to an interpretation of a passage, that interpretation of the passage has to stand under the scrutiny of the rest of the scriptures. When we study the scriptures, we don't have time to get into it now, but if we were to go to 2 Corinthians, why pick the 2 Corinthians passage, uh, we could find more teaching about the law there. You may have picked up on it when we read it earlier. We could go to Galatians and pick up some more things. But my point for right now is if we study the rest of the Bible, we're going to see we've got more pieces to the puzzle here. But for now, for Paul's purposes right now, what he wants us to see is that the law has come not to bring righteousness, but to increase the trespass. Now, couple of questions one is how does that work and two why would god do that well how does it work we've already looked at this uh, you know i suppose kieran and drew are playing in the backyard and i've used this example i just didn't use kieran and drew that's all but they're here in the front row and it's you know hey <clears throat> they're playing in the front yard they're playing in the backyard and something you know, they find something curious and uh, uh, they know that uh, their grandmother probably wouldn't want them to get into uh, this thing that's uh, curious to them, but uh, grandma's never told them they couldn't. Uh, is it wrong for them to do it? Uh, yeah, it, it's wrong. Have they been told not to do it? No. Uh, but let's suppose that they're in the backyard and now they're being tempted to do something that grandma's told them not to do. Now, if they do the first thing, they're, they're probably going to be in some trouble because they knew better. They had better judgment. But they're not going to be in as much trouble if they do the second thing. Right? Because they were told not to. We can, we've all been there, haven't we? 
We've all been there. Uh, that's why I'm using the illustration. There's nobody not been there. We all been there. Uh, when we do things we are told not to do, what what happened? It's sin either way. But when we do things we've been told not to do, sin turns into transgression. It's worse. Now, when you give a people like us with and I'll speak in our natural state, not in our converted state, just humanity in general here. When you give the natural person the law, what is going to happen? Are they going to be able to keep it? No, when we get to Romans 7, we're going to see that the law provokes us to do exactly what the law is telling us not to do. You know, I used to use this. Some of you, I don't know how many here are going to remember when we were worshiping downstairs, there used to be a piano in the hallway. How many remember the piano in the hallway? And there was something missing. Uh, yeah, Drew remembers. And, and there was something missing in the piano, wasn't it? There was this big hole in it. And then I don't think anyone paid any attention to it until one day someone put a sign up and said, you know, stay away from the piano. Or it said something about the, remember the sign? And oh, I saw that one morning when we were setting up and I thought, oh, there's a great illustration for me right there. This is Romans 7 all the way. No one would pay any attention to that piano until you put the sign up saying, don't mess with the piano. As soon as you put the sign up, don't mess with the piano. We each got all these fingers and thumbs. We can't keep them off the piano because you put the sign up telling us not to touch the piano. Is that making us righteous? No. It's making us worse. Actually, I don't know this. Making us worse in the respect that it's revealing who we really are. And I think that actually is bringing us to why. The how question is easy enough. You give people with depraved hearts the law, they can't keep the law. They're going to break the law. So why would God do that? To reveal to us our need for grace. Calvin, you know, in his institutes, he uses this as the first use of the law, the mirror. It's a mirror. You know, the law, one of the purposes of the law. This is not the sum total of it all. Paul gives three, or, or Calvin gives three purposes uh, for the law. This is only one of them. That's what I say. This is not an exhaustive treatment of the law. But what the law does is it prepares us, it shakes us out of our self righteousness and reveals to us that we need grace. And what does Paul do? Look at verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, and it's going to, is it not? You give a group like us a bunch of laws, what are we going to do? You know, you put a speed limit sign up, what are we going to do? We're going to go faster than the speed limit. Put a stop sign up, are we going to stop? We're going to slow down. You know, the light's turning yellow. That means go really fast, right? Etc., etc., etc. Uh, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased. Now, this is the part. This is the part that it takes sometimes a lifetime to come to grips with. But this comes down to the very heart of the gospel. This is the very heart of the gospel. Look what's being said here. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, what does that mean? This is the very essence and heart of the gospel. 
This is the life transforming part of the gospel. Let me just take a, a leaf out of my own personal testimony to illustrate. I, I when you know when we talk about this use of the law, uh, I, I remember coming under terrible conviction. Now, not everybody. You, you might think of your own story and think, "Well, it never happened to me." Well, God deals with us differently. But I remember coming under terrible conviction. Really believed when I first started studying the Bible that okay, I'm not doing so well on the Ten Commandments, but I haven't blew them all. And the more I studied the Bible, the more I discovered, you know, I have. I've blown them all. And as I began to understand that one of these days God's going to call me into account for, uh, for for my life and how I've lived and what I've done, what I've said, what I've thought, uh, I'm toast. I remember really going through a period of time where I, 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 I can't stand. I can't stand. I mean, um, none of us can stand. There isn't a one of us that's going to be able to stand. And then, you know, you, you, Jesus becomes a little more real to you when, you when you start to understand your need for him. But I got hung up, and I've shared this with many of you, and I've shared it from this pulpit, and I've shared it with you in private because I think it's helped you. I went through about a nine-month period where I fully believed Jesus could save me if he, if he wanted to. I just couldn't see any reason why he would want to. Why in the world would you want to? You want to know something? There is no reason why you should want to. Not based on me. There's nothing lovely about me at all that God would want to save me. Here's the verse for that. Where sin increased. And, you know, my study of the Bible, actually, I, I saw that I was actually worse as I began to understand the commandments better and better. And I began to see myself breaking them in ways I never even thought I was breaking them. Sin was increasing. And my conviction of being an evildoer was increasing. Uh, but where sin increased, grace abounded. And it wasn't until, until Jesus really got all of my heart and said, you want to know something? My grace is greater than your sin. That's the heart of the gospel. And that is like, what? Where sin increased. Grace is abundant. So, wait a second, Lord. You, I've slandered people who are made in your image. I've slandered them and I've tried since to stop and I've discovered that I can't stop doing it. Yeah, my, my grace is greater than all that. Don't you think I already know this about you? There isn't a single sin that has escaped God's notice. But you want to know something? God's grace is greater not only than every sin that you've committed or will commit. His grace is greater than all the sins all of us will commit and can commit. Nobody's going to come to Jesus until you understand and believe he's going to receive you. But my question is, why would you want to receive me? And our stories are all different. And, you know, for the sake of the tape, I, you know, I like to go beyond. I mean, there might be people listening to this tape on the Internet. And they might think, you know, 
you know, I remember when I was doing work at the jail, teaching this stuff at the jail, you know. I wasn't in jail, by the way. I was just doing work at the jail. I always like to qualify that. Uh, some of my talks have given the impression that I was incarcerated. It was for the tape. Hey, listen, everybody on the Internet, I was never incarcerated. Um, just a joke to lighten things up a smidget. But when I was out there, folks wanted to tell me what they did, you know. And sometimes they would even ask me, how come you never ask us what we did? And I, and, and I would say, because I don't care. I really don't care. I mean, that's not why I'm coming out here. I don't come out here to find out what you did. You obviously done something or you wouldn't be here, you know, unless you're innocent. It wasn't, once in a while there'd be someone saying they didn't do it. I, I don't know if they did or they didn't. I wasn't there. But um, I didn't really care. Not, not that it's unimportant. I just didn't care. And they said, well, I want to tell you what I did. I said, okay, if it's helpful to you, I'll listen. And they would tell me all the things that they did and terrible stuff, you know. And I could say to them, well, you know, the grace that's being offered in Christ Jesus, <laughs> it's, it's way bigger than that. Your, your sin's no match for that. You think your sin's going to overcome this grace? It's no match for that. Well, what if I'm a slanderer? It's no, his grace is... His grace can cover you if you're a slander. What if I'm a liar? What if I tell lies all the time and I try to keep telling them to save faith? His grace is greater than, than lying. What if I steal? What if I'm stealing? It's greater than that. What if I'm a murderer? What if I took someone's life? We had a few folks that I preached to that had committed murder. They were waiting sentencing. What if I'm a murderer? You don't understand. Rick, all this grace and stuff. Okay, I could see it applying to these guys. You know, they're hooked on drugs and they were stealing to get their fix, you know. But I took someone's life. God's grace is greater than murder. He hates murder, but he hates all the other stuff too. But his grace is greater than that. Well, I don't see how. Well, you, there's this guy, his name's Moses. You ever heard of Moses? Moses was a murderer. Moses killed an Egyptian. And God used him to lead his people out of Israel. His grace is greater than murder. Well, you don't understand. The reason I murdered this guy is because I wanted his wife. Oh, well, you know, there was this character in the Bible, too, you should read about in 2 Samuel 11. His name was David. And he's a man that the scriptures call man after God's heart. You know, one day he's on his roof. And he's looking around. His armies were at war. That's where he should have been. But he was loafing. He was on his roof. He's looking around. Sees a beautiful woman bathing. Well, as soon as he looked at her, I mean, he had no images and stuff to look at on his on his phone or on his computer. But here he's got a woman, um, two you know two two roofs down or wherever. Uh, he continues to look at her, and he uses the God-giving authority that was given to him to call that woman to his palace so that he could have his way with her. That authority that was allotted to David was God. We saw that last Wednesday, didn't we? All authority is given by God, isn't it? Romans 13. The authority of King David was used to bring a soldier's wife to his palace and there he had an affair with her, impregnating her, and then... He calls his, uh, his soldier out of battle, hoping that he will go home so he can cover this pregnancy up. 
only to see that this man is righteous. Well, when that doesn't work, what does David do? He murders him. Well, he's not the one that actually swung the sword or pulled the trigger, if you will. He had instructions. He gave this man very instructions. His murder, his instructions, his hit actually was in his hand. He carried it out to battle and gave it to the commanding officer out there. And it was instructions to take him out somewhere where the, where the fighting is heavy and desert him there so that he would surely die. Nathan the prophet comes to David and convicts him of his sins. And David goes to the Lord. And you know what David discovers? God's grace is greater than his sin. You see, this is the heart of it, isn't it? I think this is the best part, you know. We can sit in places like this and harbor these things and we can, on the outside, look like we're tracking really good. I would have looked for those nine months where I didn't, I didn't think, I couldn't see why Jesus would want to save me. You know, on the outside, everybody who was around me thought I was in. They thought I was in. There wasn't anybody around me. Did. That Rick, man, he's studying his Bible. Every time I talk to him, he seems to know more about his Bible. He reads his Bible. He read it in six months, man. That guy's tracking. He's tracking real good. You want to know something? You want to know the truth? I hadn't come to Christ yet. I was like right there. I understood that he could save me, but I couldn't see why he would be willing. I, I, you know, faith, faith takes Jesus. Faith is the hand that takes him. My hands hadn't taken him yet. And that has left a lasting impression on me. It suggests to me that, you know, we, I ought as a preacher and a, a pastor be quite cautious because there could be some of you sitting here on the outside. You look like you're right in. You look like you're here. But on the inside, you haven't taken him. I don't know if you've taken him or not, but you know if you have. I don't care what you did. I don't care what you did. I got my own stuff. What I, what I want to communicate to you is that his grace is greater than what you've done. Don't let anything stop you from taking him to be yours. Where sin increased. You listen to these messages, you get convicted. You say it's worse than I thought it was. I'm worse than I thought it was. I'm worse than I thought it was. Yes, you know what? The answer to that is yes, you are worse than you think you are and I am worse than I think I am. But here's the good news of the gospel. God's grace is greater than your sin. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great news that comes right to the very heart of the gospel. That where sin increased, grace abounded. Grace superabounded, as some say. It's super, it's superabounding. Press this upon our hearts, Father. There may be somebody here this morning or maybe somebody who will listen to this tape later. And they look on the outside like they're there. But on the inside, no they know they're not there. Father, reach out and take them so that they will take you. Convey by way of your Holy Spirit, we ask, to show them that your grace is no match for their sin. Their sin could never stand up against your grace. Your grace is so greater than their sin. Your grace is greater than the sin of the entire world.
It is sufficient to save the entire world. We recognize that it, not all of the world will come to you. But your grace abounds. There is, there is no, short, no shortage in any way. Press this upon our hearts, we pray, O oh Father. Bring us home. And those of us who've walked for a while, those of us who are battling sin and being defeated by it on a regular basis, Father, we pray that you'll press this message upon our hearts as well. That our sin and our, our constant uh, defeat and this defeat over and over again, may we see that your grace abounds over that. And Father, we pray that, Lord, you press these things upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.